Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. And the Oscar goes to... La La Land. <laughs> Did you watch? No, I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't either. I, you know, the, the, oh. the Academy Awards used to be my favorite thing. My family used to all oh. watch it. Did you get all dressed up? No, we didn't get all dressed up, but we used to watch it together. My parents went to the Academy Awards in 1982. Oh, wow, that's cool. They sat right behind Lloyd Bridges. No Jeff way. Bridges' father, yeah. And my mother won a, um, a contest on w- WGN in Chicago. That's amazing. Not many people get to say they did that right I mean. and and so she's at wgn and we all went there and the actual contest was live on the air so it was like a game show <laughs> on wgn and so it was her versus another woman and was it a pop culture thing it was just movies oh, okay oh just, that's where you get it movies. from then sure. from your mom and they were we were watching this and this is 19 well it's obviously probably the end of 1981 or maybe very early wow, 1982. Oh, you were little. Oh, tiny. But I remember sitting behind the glass and watching them oh in the gosh. studio and Roy Leonard who was the entertainment critic, the movie critic of WGN for decades. He was the guy who was doing the questions. And so I remember one of the final questions between my mother and this woman was, "What is this sound?" And it was mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so my sister and I are behind the glass, going, "It's Darth Vader! It's Darth Vader breathing!" <laughs> like we're sitting there banging on, "It's Darth Vader breathing!" Yeah, and my and they can't hear us or whatever. Of course, and we can't right. cheat. No, but the woman, the other woman, my mother is up against, goes, "Some kind of disco dance." Oh, <laughs> remember it's 1981 or early 19, late 19, early 82, and my mother's just like, "It sounds like something from Close Encounters of the Third Kind." So at least she was in wow, the ballpark. Pretty good, yeah. But they both got <laughs> it wrong. <cute. laughs> but anyway, so my mother ended up winning. Mm, and the they got the yeah, they get to go to the Academy Awards, they get to stay at the Bonaventure Hotel in Los Angeles, which is very futuristic in the early eighties. It's the oh. hotel from the, the TV show It's a Living. Okay. Anyway, so that was fun. So the Academy Awards was always a big thing in our family because uh, my parents were there and we'd always watch it every That's year. fun. That's cool. I never really got that into it, but uh this year apparently we missed all kinds of I know. I know. Drama and well, and Warren Beatty won Best Picture for his movie Reds when my parents went to the Academy Awards, wow, and he was that. the one that messed up yeah. the Academy Award last night. And oh. you can't blame him; like they give him the no. wrong envelope. I I can't even like when I read about it, I got so uncomfortable just even thinking about it. I can't even watch it. Originally, like, I did. I watched it today. Originally, I thought it wasn't that bad. Originally, I'm like, okay, it can't be that bad. And then I watch it, and the thing is, is that the whole team from La La Land comes up and makes a speech. Right. They made oh, this man. speech, and then the guy's so like... So it got that far along. They made the speech, and oh. then uh, somebody comes out, and the guy's like, no, we, um, we, we got it wrong. Moon, moon, oh, moonlight's the winner. And if they hadn't made the speech, then I'd be like, oh, it's just a mistake. I right. thought they just said La La Land. Well, oh, it's still horrible, though, because they all walk up there, and then they have to... Do the, the walk of shame, embarrassment. Like but it's back. not as bad as like crying and thanking your kids or whatever. Uh, and then all of a sudden screwing up. Anyway, oops, so it's it pretty mind. good. No thanks. Anyway, good job, Price Waterhouse Cooper. Oh, man. Ouch. Yeah. So, so that was exciting. Pop culture. Uh, yeah. Weekend. Not a lot of sci-fi movies this year in the Academy Awards. Mm. 
in the past we've had some sci-fi movies, but not, not a lot of sci-fi horror, so not a lot of genre favorites. The Arrival was up. Have you seen The Arrival yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. I recommend seeing yeah? The Arrival. Okay. Yeah. Some people think it's boring because it's it's a different kind of alien contact movie. Okay. But I think it's pretty good. So cool. I think it's definitely worth watching. It, it makes you look at alien contact in a different way. Nice. I like those kinds. Yeah. And, you know, funny enough, connecting the arrival to our topic this week oh. is that, you know, I think about the arrival and it talks about humanity's interaction with time, humanity's interaction with nature, uh, humanity's interaction with language. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit of, when you think the study of humans, anthropology. Yeah. And anthropology is you're studying different cultures, interaction with language, nature, time, you know, their, their concept of reality and how it is the same and different than yours. Not to be confused with paranthropology, which paranthropology, we talked about last, which week. last week. But the thing is, so this week we're bringing on an anthropologist who spent a lot of time in Tanzania and Zanzibar. <laughs> right. And so Dr. Martin Walsh is a really fun and interesting guy who is featured in the Gray Brothers documentary, The Nightmare. Right, we talk okay. about him in the podcast and we talked to the Gray Brothers about him, the time they spent in Zanzibar, talking all about this nocturnal entity by the name of Popabawa. Excuse me? Yes. Papa Mawa. Uh, Come again? Well, we will We will talk about him. And the thing is, is that people were having night terrors. They were waking up and felt like the pressure on the chest, the classic incubus and succubus thing, and they were blaming it on this creature. And it became a whole like mass panic wow. in Zanzibar in 1995. Oh Martin Walsh was there. And so we talked to the good doctor about some of his anthropological work and the whole history of this particular mass delusion. Martin Walsh is a social anthropologist with a PhD from the University of Cambridge. His extensive field experience in East Africa, including the Tanzanian archipelago of Zanzibar. He joins us today to discuss paranormal beliefs in Zanzibar. And also joining us is my sister, Allison Jornlin from Milwaukee Ghosts. Welcome, Allison, and welcome, Martin, all the way from the UK to talk to us about paranormal beliefs. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. Yeah, all, all, all well, thanks. I'm here in Cambridge in the UK. Not, not the Cambridge over your side, but the Cambridge in the UK. It's a, it's a lovely February day. Oh, we're so glad to have you. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on with us. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Well, let's start out real quick with maybe a little description of what your history is as a researcher and an academic and what got you interested in maybe heading to Africa and studying that area in the first place. How did I end up in Africa? Uh, Like most things in life, by accident, I actually went to university. I went to Cambridge to study archaeology and they combine anthropology in the course so I, I you know my first year I did archaeology and anthropology but before that when I was a teenager I mean like you know many teenagers I was I was doing all sorts of stuff I was I was writing poetry I was and I was particularly into um, psychoanalytic approach of, of Jung of C.G. Jung of Carl Gustav Jung yeah. so I was really I was, yeah, this is why I mentioned it, because I knew it, it, it would sort of strike a chord with you guys. So I was, I was as, a, as a sort of teenager, and I got into this with my dad, actually, and, and sort of through his influence. So I was really into this stuff and reading it and reading the books and sort of, I spent a whole year at one point recording my dreams. I've still got this book of my dreams which are fantastic. The embarrassing bit are the interpretations that I wrote on the on the sort of you know opposite sheets of paper. You know, I kind of wish I could burn those, but the uh, the the year of dreams, you know, and uh, 
in which I, I sort of finally came to the conclusion that I was just having my dreams to order. I was sort of dreaming Jungian archetypes because I wanted to. But anyway, when I went to university, it turned out that um, the archaeology wasn't as inspiring. It could have been inspiring, and maybe it was to some, but um, to me it wasn't as inspiring as uh, anthropology, which seemed to me to be an opportunity to sort of... Um, you know, discuss all manner of, of, of subjects. And I, I heard your podcast with, with Jack Hunter, um, another British anthropologist. And, and it, it just, anthropology is just a field, cultural, social anthropology that, that, you know, gives you the scope to sort of dip into all things. And that includes comparative religion, includes, you know, whatever you want to call it, the occult, paranormal uh, as well as the political, the economic, the social in every in every kind of way. And that, you know, and, and I found that what anthropologists were doing, my sort of youthful dip into young, you know, sort of paled by comparison and I thought by the excitement of what anthropologists were doing and writing about, about ritual and myth and so on at that time. I got the funding to do uh, doctoral research um, I sort of basically sat, I think I sat at home one holiday looking at the map, thinking, where in the world do I want to go? Okay, where can I go? Where is it easy to go? Where do I not have to learn some ludicrously complex language? Where can I get a visa for? So there are practical considerations. And the place I thought that was really sort of uninteresting, because all of my teachers, not all of them, but a lot of my teachers had worked there, was South Africa. And, uh, <laughs> but in the end, I sort of eliminated everywhere else that I thought might be interesting. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's time for another generation to go back to Africa. And uh, so I ended up in East Africa. And that was 1979. And I went there in 1980s. And so let's get the geography of Tanzania real quick, or the geography of Africa. Mm. Uh, Tanzania is on the eastern side of Africa, like eastern central Africa, if I've got it correct. So East Africa, in the in the sort of more, most restricted sense, is is Tanzania. To the north of it, um, Kenya. Um, to the west of Kenya, Uganda. Then around Lake Victoria, Rwanda, and Burundi. That's the sort of narrow definition of East Africa. And so, at what point in 1980 were you like, what the heck did I get myself into? <laughs> I, <laughs> I suppose when I uh, when I broke my toe on the way there, um, so <laughs> I spent the first I spent the first three weeks uh, of my my field work with my whole leg in plaster. No, I I, I enjoyed it actually. Sometimes it's said that uh, social anthropologists can be antisocial, but I think if you have the if you have the right attitude, if you you know if you know how to sort of you really need to know how to communicate people and enjoy life. So, and if you're able to do that, and you can get along with people, and you can put up with things being different in various ways. Ways and, and keep your spirits up and, and entertain people and exchange information with them and not just extract it from them, then, um, you know, you can enjoy it, whatever the sort of privations might be or the comparisons with your, with your home life. So was your attitude more of like a cultural exchange? I think that's the way that you have to do it. I mean, anthropologists these days work in all sorts of contexts, you know, from office blocks and stock exchanges to the sort of more stereotype kind of rural village scenario. What were some of the cultures that were in that 
region when you came down there. So just to give people some background who may be completely unfamiliar with Tanzania and their only exposure to Zanzibar is a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Or just that it's fun to say, Zanzibar. (laughs) It's a cool name, isn't it? Yeah. uh, Yeah, Tanzania was, I mean, well, it was originally German East Africa. I mean, like a lot of African countries that were sort of, the basis of the borders lies in colonial history. Africa was sort of parceled out in the scramble for Africa. The the Brits took what became Kenya colony eventually. Um, and the Germans took what, after they had to give it up after the First World War, was, was then renamed Tanganyika Territory under a League of Nations mandate. And it, it you know, like a lot of these countries, they didn't get... I mean, independence. Um, certainly, the countries ruled over by the British until the um, the nineteen sixties. Yeah, well, and and maybe let's get into it with the Popo Bawa. That's uh, you know a nightmare of Zanzibar that we should definitely talk about because it, it had a, a huge effect on the country over the years, hasn't it? At certain times, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's a sort of constant feature of life, but it, it it's something that um, has, it, 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 to use a metaphor, erupted from from time to time. Yeah, and it comes in waves. So the idea of the Pope Bow is an evil spirit, right? But what kind of you'd say in you know what I guess Western culture or the Anglo-American culture that kind of we used to? What would be a an equivalent, uh, like the boogeyman or something? I think it's quite difficult to um, to sort of translate directly. Um, I mean, it, it's it's there's a whole sort of you know, and you guys will be familiar with this. There's there's a whole um, load of stuff out there on 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 the on the internet about the occult and that compares different types of um, you know occult beings: the the Popo Bauer, the Chupacabra, the you know, whatever it is, there's, there's a whole whole list of them. Um, <clears throat> I think the whole bestiary. Be, <laughs> yes, there is of, of imaginary beings, as as I sometimes refer to them. Yes. Um, to 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 use the phrase used by um, Jorge Luis Borges, um, and it, 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 I think, I mean, one of the duties I think of an anthropologist, and, and why you would hope the work of anthropologists is, can be valuable, is to sort of you know, probe those things in greater details and and to sort of, you know, where can the comparisons be made? Is this the same as in place X? Why is it different? And and so on and so forth. So just like the Popabawa probes his victims. On in in, in Zanzibar, it's a part of, of, of local society that uh, a lot of people believe in the existence of spirits. And there are spirits of all sorts of different kinds. Uh, actually, different. And people talk about different tribes of spirits. There are there are spirits that we sometimes call possessory spirits that can possess individuals. I mean, we use this word possession again. It, it can be problematic because it's not always quite the same thing that we sort of think about when when we watch those those kind of horror movies. But people can be possessed by. By, by, by spirits and they can have if you like a sort of familiar spirit that has its name that speaks through them or a spirit and and typically people who are specialists in this stuff spirit mediums um you know may have more than one spirit that 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 sort of you know 
keeps them informed, that speaks through them, that that works through them when they're healing and 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 and, and doing other stuff with their clients. The control, right? As we talked about last week, um, in spiritualism, it's called the control. Your spirit that is kind of your guide. Yeah, and typically, I mean, again, there's a lot of very a lot of people if you like, connect with spirits through the route that a lot of people get into that is through some kind of misfortune and particularly sickness. Um, and it, you know, it, it, a, a standard route or route, sorry, into that is that somebody falls sick. Uh, they go to one of these sort of traditional doctors or specialists who will say, well, you know, I think maybe you've got a certain kinds and then you get sort of taken through the ceremonies and so on or the 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 the, um, the rituals that would sort of then induct you into into being um uh, 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 you know fully engaged with with that spirit not not you know not 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 as a sort of something an evil entity but something that can you know help guide you in life as well um and, and but also you know they have to have a relationship with the spirit so does that interfere with the, with the muslim aspect i mean we say that spirits have a place but you know just like if you would go to a voodoo kind of thing or that you know they were connecting different kinds of religion with with voodoo in french you know the the french influence in the united mm. states is that that kind of thing where they're mixing a little bit of the traditional religion and then bringing the parts of islam kind of from their in there it's actually there's a it, there's a lot of gray spaces and, and and shadings in between these things and it, it isn't so kind of clear cut um and it, it, it's because there are some, i said i mentioned that there are different tribes of these possessory spirits now some of the tribe some of the spirits you know are kind of arabic spirits they're no, they're actually very religious themselves. So, in order to engage with those particular spirits, if one of them has possessed you and that's been accepted and so on, then you know you might have to engage with that in ways that are very proper religiously, if you like. There are other spirits who, you, you know, some of them have pagan backgrounds. They from they they're said to be come from other tribes from. The, the mainland or wherever, um, you know, some of them demand that you drink alcohol. Some of them demand right. this and that. You know, so <laughs> they you can act, they they can actually be you know a, a motivation or a reason for people sort of transgressing. The, the, the sort of, <laughs> there you the go, normal, Mike. Yeah, that's normal, another excuse for you. I've met those spirits. <laughs> yeah, so there's a you know it's quite a spirited thing if you like, and um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of variation and. You know, a lot of stuff that sort of goes on. And it's not just sort of black and white, Muslim versus traditional, etc. Okay. But let me just add that in, in addition to these kinds of spirits that fall, fall into different categories and are able to sort of possess um, and speak through and, and speak to humans uh, and, and uh, people of the earth, as they call them when they're speaking, and 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 also um, through through specialists, there, there there are other kinds of spirits as well. Some of them that are spirits of place um, that reside in particular locations, or reside in particular animals, or reside in you know a particular tree, a big baobab tree, or at a crossroads, or in a particular. So like animism, Anim is, is that animism. Well, you, 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 yeah, in a sense, there's, it, it sort of links with that that set of ideas that have been described as animism. But 
And one of the things that, that uh, struck me upon, I didn't go to Zanzibar for the first time until I'd, I'd, I'd been working in East, in East Africa for, um, let me see, now, now about um, 15 years, 14 or, 14 or 15 years or so. Um, and what struck me about Zanzibar and both islands, and perhaps Pembe in particular, where I went to live for two years in the mid-90s, was it was it was probably the most sort of spiritually in that sense dense landscape that I'd, I'd ever been in or I'd been aware of being in is there just seemed to be something occult and, and spirit related round every corner not only were you know quite a number of people um engaged in Sort of spirit possession and, and so on. Or you, you never know the numbers. I don't, I don't, I don't know of anybody who's. Um, I don't know offhand of any survey data on the sort of percentages of people who are actively engaged in spirit possession. It might not be a, a majority of people. It might be, be a much smaller number of people. Um, but you know, there are spirits of place. There are it, it, that. The whole world seemed to be sort of hedged out about, you know, there's a lot of other entities out there, let's put it that way. In, Sounds crowded. In, it's <laughs> fairly crowded in the minds of some people, but not everybody, because not everybody thinks like that. Not everybody wants to get engaged with that kind of world. You know, some people you might say are skeptics or they decide just to ignore it. You know, they'd rather follow the sort of you know, mainstream religion, or they, they prefer the sort of pious route, or the people, you know, uh, maybe they prefer drinking spirits to engaging with spirit, right. any kind of spirit, <laughs> you know, whatever. There's this, uh, as I say, I mean, one thing I think to emphasize, you know, anthropologists are sort of uh, are at fault as, as much as a lot of other European and, and uh, travellers from the outside is we love stories of the exotic. I mean, we're we're telling them now, actually. I'm telling them now. And you tend oh, to love focus. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. them too. Well, yes. But I you live tend for to, it. But sometimes that focus on the exotic and the things that are different, it can give somebody else the impression that, you know, that's all there is to life. Right. Whereas in fact, and it can you know, be kind of prejudice in a way. In fact, ninety-nine percent of life in in Zanzibar is you know very ordinary. You know, there are people walking around wearing ordinary clothes, doing ordinary stuff. Just imagine somebody from another planet comes to the states, you know, <laughs> lands in your hometown, and they're all about the I mean, you know, and they said, you know, they're they're on a, you know, they're only there for a few you know weeks or months to do research you know they're gonna go back to their planet and write some really bizarre stuff you know these guys yeah. you know they have this religion you know called football and baseball and they gather together in these huge communal spaces and you know they do this weird stuff that's totally pointless like the wave. <laughs> and they seem to pray to these characters called the kardashians these spirits called the kardashians <laughs> oh, that come no, through no. into their home oh, God. and every yeah, week they, they collect around and talk oh. about the kardashians and what kind of makeup these spirits wear they have these really right. holy places called art galleries you know where you can't talk and you know it's just i mean you can imagine right. and, and so we have to realize our own perspective is getting in the yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, we also do a lot of stuff that is is and and I mean and and your 
your program is is the place where a lot of this is gathered together because you you, you, yes, you guys have got a finger on the pulse of all the weird stuff that people <laughs> in our own society sort of think and believe in. Um, so it's it's a sort of perfect counterpoint. So so alien download us first. <laughs> so as we talk about this, I mean, so on the one hand. Zanzibar is a very, in some ways, a special place, and it, I think it's partly be, that sort of density, if you like, of, of, of spiritual stuff is, 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 is maybe in part a consequence of all the, the different cross-cultural influences, because it's had the influence from the, the sort of uh, cultures on the mainland, then some of the Islamic stuff that's come in and so on. But it's also not like this is every day this is happening you know you you could you could be there for for months and not see anything bizarre your neighbors can be doing all sorts of bizarre things um, and you you might not be aware of it i mean i am the bizarre neighbor i mean this is this is how i i first came to um uh, hear about popo bauer or at least to to you know it first sort of impinged upon upon my life when when i was there well let me let me sort of tell you what what sort of popa bauer is and 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 sort of how it began as a way because the I, I spoke of it as an eruption um i mean a better way to describe it would be well it was an episode of mass hysteria although that kind of way of describing it some people think is problematic it was another way of describing it, it was a it was something that affected a lot of people all at once. And it had the feeling, it really did have the feeling of a panic, of a hysteria, of, of people were very unsettled. And it was very serious and frightening for a lot of people. And the main, if you like, um, and it, it's hard to stop avoiding sometimes medical metaphors, the main outbreak or, or, uh, took place in 1995 which is the time I was living on this island of Pemba. I was living in a town, or on the edge of a town, um, in the north of Pemba called Wetty. And actually, when the panic began, I was off the island. I'd, I'd gone on a trip somewhere else, and so I came back to town. This was in 1995. Um, I came back to town, and this was around, um, I think this was in February. It was in February or March 1995, and it, it began during the month of Ramadan. So we mentioned before the holy month of Ramadan, this sort of movable, it, it, it moves with the lunar calendar, the, the sort of month when uh, Muslims are uh, are fasting and are at their most pious, if you like, and ends in a, in a sort of four-day celebration, um, but lasts a whole lunar month. So and the, the, the month of Ramadan that year began in early February, on the on the second of February, and I came back from my sort of trip to another island, actually, um, with friends. People in town were there were sort of rumours. They were saying, you know, something's happened over on on Pemba. There's something going on, and I started for the first time to hear this this word Popo Bauer, and then went over to Pemba, where you know, back to my house there, where I was living and working. Is there any translation for Popabawa? Like in particular, is there is there a certain like translation to what the name would mean in analog for in English? There is, and I'll I'll come to that because when I first heard of it, and when a lot of people, I mean, when a lot of Zanzibaris first heard it, they had no idea what it was. You know, what is this word? Why? Why? What does it mean? I mean, it, its root meaning is is Popo is a bat and Bauer is a wing. So it it it. it 
it doesn't make simple sense. It's kind of like bat wing or okay. the wing of a bat, um, although you wouldn't quite say it in that way. But it, it, those are the two elements, bat wing, you know, wing That's bat. That's kind of, the, of the sensation of it in a, in a way. Or... Well, well, it'll become obvious why, why that term was used. Or, 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 although, again, there's a story behind that. Anyway, when I got then to, um, you know, back home and working, and I say I was working on an agricultural project, and so traveling around with colleagues, there was just the most incredible ferment. I mean, we'd go, you know, we were working with farmers in, in, in villages around the island, and people would be talking about nothing else. We'd, 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 the whole conversation would be about, pop, about, pop, about, pop, about, I've done this, have you heard about that? And it was, it was like sort of gossip gone mad. And just, you know, it was, it's, you know, who needs Twitter in those circumstances? I mean, it was just, everybody was talking about this. It was, I mean, people were, 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 were I mean, I won't, I won't say ranting, but they, they were talking about nothing else. They were incredibly intense. You know, the latest story, the latest event they'd heard about and so on. And, you know, even as somebody who, who you know, was a fairly good Swahili speaker at this time, um, because I'd, I'd been working in East Africa for, for, for many years. Um, you know, even I, I just couldn't keep up with all, all the detail, detail of it. And it, 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 it went on for, I mean, it went on for some weeks. And what I did, because I was, um, you know, I thought, oh, you know, I realized that this is something really, really, really significant happening, is that, you know, and it's something that I'm not going to be able to capture if I just sort of, you know, just sit around talking to the few people I, I meet at work or, or who are my neighbours and so on, um, it, it's really going to need a bit more effort. And 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 um, I recruited somebody, a woman, um, an adult woman who had children, was married with children, um, somebody I knew who who who, you know, I said, can you can you help me? Well, you know, and this was actually after the after the panic had, had begun to die down. It lasted it lasted some weeks um, before moving on from this main this island Pemba to the main island of, of Zanzibar on Guja. And she actually did this work afterwards, um, or after the panic had, had sort of died down. And I, I asked her. I said, "Could you could you sort of you know working as?" kind of research assistant just just um go around talking to people to your neighbors people you know and and just just recording some of these stories in in more detail because i i didn't have the opportunity to do that um and also i don't think i would have been able to do it as well as she could because being a member of the community this is the other by the way here's a complete digression this is the other secret of anthropology that they don't tell you when you're studying it is that actually a lot of the best work by anthropologists has been done by fantastic assistants by people in the communities themselves who have been recruited like this to sort of tell them stuff it's the anthropologist control <laughs> it's That's right. awful. Yeah, they're often, I mean, there's, you know, in this the postmodern age, there have been some studies of this, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of forgotten kind of uh, heroes, if you like. And, and to me, the definition of a really good person like that to, to work with is somebody who just, 
And this is what happened. I, I call this woman Jamila. It's, it's, it's not her real name because for various reasons she asked not to be identified afterwards. Um, and I, I can tell you about that. But um, <clears throat> Jamila came back after a, a few weeks. So all, I mean, we, I checked with her after, after a, a, a week or two to see how she was getting on. I basically just gave her a checklist of questions. These are the kinds of questions to ask. Here's some notebooks. Here's a pen. You know, let's see what you can find out. And my definition of 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 of, of a good researcher has always been somebody who who tells you a lot more than you expected you'd ever, you know, you could even find out. And what she brought back, it just blew my mind. I realized that I'd only seen the sort of, you know, the surface of what had been happening, that people had actually, you know, this thing had been raging to an extent that I'd, I'd really not been aware of. Never mind what, you know, other expatriates were thinking, they hardly knew anything at all. It's just a fantastic amount of information that that, that she came back with, and and that sort of, you know, then together with, um, you know, talking to people myself and and work with other people, then, you know, formed my basis for for understanding what had what had been happening. So what was Popabawa doing? Like, why was it setting the country on fire? Well, and she went through this in a very very sort. I mean, what she wrote is. Is I haven't published it, but I should publish it in 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 translation. Um, so she wrote it in Swahili in, in in the local dialect of Swahili, and I, I've sort of I've, I've written a rough translation of it. And it, it sounds it's, like a treasure trove to me. It it is a treasure trove. Um, it's you know would 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 certainly fill up a, a, a short book, and together with explanation, it would make a, a a longer book. Um, is that she went through very systematically. And it's all obviously from her perspective and the perspective of where we were, that particular location, what people in that community knew about what happened in other communities and so on. But the tale they told was that during Ramadan, so during the holy month, so during the month when getting engaged with sort of spirit type stuff is, is not halal at all, it's not a thing to be done at all, is that the first incident occurred, and it was in the far south of the island, um, in an area called Chococho, and somebody was attacked, and they were attacked in the night by um, a spirit, a spiritual entity, and this this kind of gradually gathered pace, and different people then in, 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 it moved from one community to another community and it started to sort of spread. I mean, you could always talk like a plague of spirits. It spread across the island from one community to another until it reached the north um, where we were living. But the attacks in the night, were they seeing the creature? Did Popabawa like have a physical manifestation? Was it just a feeling? Like he came in and obviously Popabawa was doing things the, the, the place you would not want to be attacked, that's where Popabawa was sneaking in. It was everything in the sense that um, one of the explanations for why it was called Popobawa, the, the, the wing of a bat, is some, and, and whether people were influenced by the name in these descriptions or not, is that one kind of experience that people describe was it always happened at night. And it usually happened when you were in bed at night. And you'd be asleep or you thought you were asleep and then boom, you know, something happens. And maybe a crack appears in the in the door 
or you wake up suddenly, maybe, sorry, a crack in the wall, maybe the sort of brick or the mud wall of your house, it, it suddenly cracks open and you feel an entity or a presence and sometimes it's Sometimes it's something kind of shrouding over you, you know, by the wing of a bat, um, or it can take all sorts of other forms. It might be something that's kind of more, you know, human-like, or maybe you just see a sort of shady figure, or you see some other kind of creature. I mean, the, it, 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 it was a shapeshifter. It, it, it came in different sizes and forms. Um, and there was no sort of one standard kind of appearance. And this is, again, one of the mistakes of, of, of the subsequent sort of, um, you know, writing about it on the Internet is, is a standardized description has emerged, you know, which, which is actually nonsense of a sort of one-eyed uh, monster with a bat wing and so on. As though you could describe it in the way people describe the, the chupacabra or one of those other entities. It doesn't have... A single form. It has all sorts of different forms. I mean, when we did the, the film with the Grey Brothers, The Nightmare, the women we interviewed for that film all described it as taking the, the sort of form of a bush baby, which are these sort of small forest uh, creatures with large eyes that are, are nocturnal um, uh, galagos or bush babies, as, as they, they call them. So some people were seeing forms of the Batwing, the, you know, the one-eyed monster. Some people were seeing the Bush babies and other people were seeing like human forms. So it wasn't specifically like male or female or it was a variety. It was a total variety and all sorts. And I think what happened is all sorts of experiences that people had in the night got drawn into the same description so some of them some people describe sort of poltergeist-like experiences you know hey you know my baby was in bed and you know suddenly in the middle of the night it wasn't in bed anymore and it was up a tree in the garden you know that was popo bower whatever happened or whatever sort of weird and strange and inexplicable experience that people had or thought they'd had during this period was ascribed to popo bower all everything got sucked into um, a single panic. And it came some, under that umbrella. You know, yeah, it might not some, even been related at all. Well, I mean, that's that's a research question. And, yeah. and, 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 and <laughs> <laughs> so you're making me laugh. Yeah. Um, as, you're, as you're regaining well, your composure, I just Googled bush babies. And let me just put it out there. If any really, bush baby yes. wants to come to me in the night, feel free. They are a totes adorbs. Well, if any bush baby wants to sit on my chest and then assault me, I'm not interested in that happening. But well, snuggles, they're, they're, snuggles are okay. They're, they're totally cute, especially when they get drunk uh, on, on, <laughs> on palm wine. Of our fermented fruit. Yeah, on palm wine. And, and, and when they're not cute is when you have a tin roof and you're woken up in the middle of the night by these things trampling on your tin roof and crying like babies. I mean, the... That's why they call them bush babies. They sound like a load of sort of cat's whale sometimes. They, they make a hell of a racket. Mm -hmm. So when these when people were attacked, so, so there's all sorts of variety in the descriptions of what happened to them. There are some sort of common features. And among those common features are that um, the entity or whatever it was that was attacking them or coming to their rooms at night you know, and sometimes they'd be asleep with the partner, and it happened to both men and women. 
by, by the way. Sometimes you'd be asleep, you know, you, you know, be attacking you and your partner was fast asleep and had no idea what was going on. Is that a very common feature of this would was was that and again, not in all cases, but in a sort of say about, you know, um a half or third or something of cases, people would say they, they were paralyzed. Is that the entity crushed them, it, it kind of it, 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 the term people use translates as it sort of squeezed their ribs. It kind of crushed down their sides and their fronts and it sat on them and it, it squeezed them. It squeezed the breath out of them. And they were paralyzed. They couldn't scream. They couldn't speak. They couldn't say anything. Their partner or whoever else would be, you know, fast asleep, oblivious to what was happening. And they'd be just sort of, you know, both paralyzed with terror and unable to respond to this this terrible sort of crushing uh, pain and the experience that they were having. So that was that 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 was. I mean, in the sort of phenomenal phenomenology of the experiences that people describe, that, that was the most common. But it wasn't universal, as I say. All sorts of other phenomena that, in our own culture, it might have, have given them different descriptions. You know, panic attacks, anxiety, and so on. And what I think is interesting here is that you have the classic sleep paralysis, and this is what they discuss in the movie The Nightmare. You have the classic sleep paralysis scenario where you wake up next to, you know, your, your partner is still sleeping with you. You wake up, there's something strange in the room, and it, it appears differently to everybody. When I had a sleep paralysis thing, I saw little white heads surrounding me, and I'm like, what's this going on? Like little white. Mike, but- you're holding back. Why don't you tell me this? I talked about this with the Gray Brothers. (laughs) But the fact is, you see these little things and you can't move and you're paralyzed. And then that's the classic incubus or succubus experience where something's crushing your chest. But it's the fact that these people feel like that it continues with a physical assault uh, coming up next. Now, did your researcher or you find anybody with any kind of actual... um, like police would take pictures of an assault afterwards. Did you see any bruises, any oh, kind physical of evidence. lacerations yeah. or things like that in the, you know, when people would be attacked by Pope Bawa in the night? Uh, no, in, in, in a word, no, there was no, there's no sort of documentation of that kind. I mean, this, this has all been spread by word of mouth and, um, I mean, it depended how pe- people were attacked as, as, a, as I say, they, um, this sort of Popo Bauer, and people spoke about there being multiple Popo Bauers because there could be simultaneous attacks in, in different places at the same time. So it, it spread up and across this island, Pemba, and it kind of burned itself out, as it were. Um, and it, there's some communities that resisted it, very interestingly. But once it had burned its way through this particular the island it began on, Pemba, it then jumped over to the main island of the of, of Zanzibar to Unguja. And it, its attacks were kind of described as being even more horrible um, and nasty. So people sort of sort of were physically assaulted by the by the spirit on 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 that island, at least in their own descriptions. Now, so it I kind have, of yeah. it kind of turned 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 kind of nasty there. Did anyone die? Like, um, you know, this makes me think of, you know, another thing covered in the Nightmare documentary, the um, sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome, which is throughout Asia, but most prominently recalled among the Hmong, let's say. Yes. Um, and uh, their uh, spirits, um, the Da Cho, 
So I, I'm just wondering if there were any reports of deaths uh, associated with the Popobawa. There were, but they, they, on the whole, they weren't deaths from the experience itself. I think there might have been, um, I'd have to go back to the accounts, one or two. In fact, I can only think of, of maybe one in, in which somebody, um, you know, had a heart attack afterwards or that sort of thing. Um, but there were a number of people who died, you know, after being attacked by mobs because they'd been identified as the evil spirit Popo Bauer. So if you can imagine, and, and let me add in some more details. So people are being attacked at night. The panic was such that um, it reached the stage where people were afraid to, to sleep in their houses. So for some weeks, people in, the, in the, many of the villages on, on Pember were not sleeping in their houses. There was... Stay, trying to stay up all night outside the houses, sitting around fires, trying desperately not to fall asleep. Um, nonetheless, some of them were, were still attacked. So that's almost like a nightmare on Elm Street there, like Freddy Krueger's coming yeah. for you, you know, like don't fall oh, asleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. well, it was, it, you know, there were communities going bonkers and uh, just going completely nuts. And at the same time, people... You know, we're looking for, you know, who can we blame for this? You know, what is this kind of its spirit, Popo Bow? And I'll, 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 I'll go on to this again in, in, in a second. But um, very, very unfortunately, mental health is, is, is a kind of, as in many um, communities in, in Africa, people aren't always getting the kinds of treatment they, you would hope they would get in, 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 in um in, in our own society, although even here it's not all the case. So it's it's not unusual to find people wandering about who, who suffer from various kind of uh, conditions, of mental health conditions and so on. And in a number of cases, they became the target for people's anger because and the, and the sort of story would go, you know, here's somebody, we found them wandering about in the middle of the night, they look out of place, they're dirty, they're unkempt, they have a funny smell, whatever it is. Um, this is what Popo Bow is supposed to look like, you know, let's get them. So sadly, there were there were a number of, of people killed. I, I think I've got a list of, I, I heard of, of six cases. Um, most of them um, were on the main island. And there was one particular notorious case where the... Um, where the the corpse after after there's a man who was killed it was a young man killed by a mob and it, it, they took his corpse to the government hospital to the main hospital in Zanzibar town and the government um i mean they contacted his parents who came from the mainland and they came over and they were interviewed on television and the government was trying to calm all this down was saying you know you know, we're going to we're interviewing the parents. You know, and they said, yes, this is our son. He, he you know, he was coming for treatment. He was unwell, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He wasn't Popo Bauer, and so on. And a lot of people by this time had come to the hospital to view the body. They were allowed to view his body, um, and people just said, nah. You know, we don't believe you. You've substituted the body. You know, that's not the thing that we killed. You know, there was not. 
those aren't the pair. You know, this is just a put up. The government's so, you know, conspiracy theory sort of reigned. So there were people killed, but they didn't on the, as far as we know, and, and who knows, because nobody was documenting most of this. But um, uh, as far as I'm aware, the, the main deaths were actually, um, if you like, through people's desire to sort of, um, you know, find a scapegoat for this. And, and, you know, they thought that these people that they were killing were manifestations of, of, of Popo Bauer. And that's because they were either behaving strangely or they were out of place. Well, I think what's interesting here is we're really, when we talk about how these ideas can spread to other people and then they can cause harm. Number one, an idea can spread that Popo Bauer will attack you, violate you in the middle of the night. You'll get that idea in your head. You'll wake up and have an experience. And then you'll tell other people about it. Watch out for Popo Bauer. He got me. And like you were talking about footage from the nightmare and stuff like that, people would show other people what Popo Bauer did. And it usually was something very unpleasant to a very unpleasant place. And that, that makes it even more shocking because it even becomes more personal kind of violation. And then that gets in their head. And so the, the idea of Popo Bauer even coming in the middle of the night is spreading to other people, causing harm, giving some dude a heart attack in the middle of the night. And then the idea that Popo Bauer can take any shape or form and you see a derelict or a homeless guy or somebody show up and that's somebody you attack too. So these ideas are causing harm, destruction, and everything. And it's the virus of just the words that takes place in your head. That's a really good point. And, and when you say the virus as well, it, it, interestingly, and, and uh, you know, again, other uh, others have written about this as well. But um, one of the sort of uh, tropes, if you like, in the narratives of, uh, about Popabao was that uh, when you had an attack, it was often said you were told by the spirit or the entity or whatever you know if you don't tell other people what's happened to you i'm going to come back <laughs> so <laughs> there was a sort of built-in mechanism if you like oh, for the wow. story for the story to sort of spread so whatever how embarrassing it was you know you've got to, you better tell everybody else or else i'm coming for you again oh, now man. you're you're very right mike because when this kind of you know, when panic sets in, then it becomes sort of self-generating. It becomes like a contagion. And you can see this in, in other kinds of sort of panic and crises of, of this kind in, in history. And it, it sort of then takes off of its own accord. And as I sort of suggested earlier, other experiences can get sucked into that. And, and you know, who knows what the reality behind any of this was, but everything then starts sort of snowballing. And this clearly happened in, in, in the case of this, this outbreak in, in, in 1995. Um, and it only sort of burned itself out, if you like, as it had got, went through communities and they'd experienced it. And it sort of then, you know, went somewhere new where it also grew again, took off. Everybody went into a major panic. Then it, it, it sort of... Um, I mean, I don't. When I say burned its way out, it's almost as if you know the people who are going to have those experiences have them, and then it you know would move on somewhere else. Or well, what's the impetus? I mean, what kicks this kind of panic off? Do you think? I mean, um, what starts well, it? Well, as as again, you Mike uh, pointed out, and a number of people pointed out uh, uh, at the time, or, or, or shortly thereafter, when they heard about this, that um, you know the 
experiences that a number of people were describing were very similar to the experiences, documented experiences of, of sleep paralysis, um, which is a phenomenon that, you know, when they sort of survey college students in, in it's always college students somewhere in North America. It's a little you know, bit of the cheap. Yep. You know, sort they of got a lot of time on their hands. I know, and in some cases, twenty to twenty-five people, twenty-five percent, you know, or, or whatever, quite large percentages of people, you know, uh, say that they've had uh, uh, experiences like this. And and the classic, you know, that's why it's called sleep paralysis because you're either on the point of of, of falling asleep or waking up. You're in that sort of twilight zone, and you feel paralyzed. And a very common sort of part of that experience is that you feel that there's some kind of of, of kind of entity or, or or presence that you know is often crushing you in that classic sort of incubus way um crushing your chest and you can't breathe you can't speak and so on right and it, you know that, that's yeah. been a constant of um you know for uh, uh, in european art and culture and there are variations upon it in different cultures so Absolutely. I mean, uh, in, in my own experience, uh, I've been told about sleep paralysis uh, in terms of Menominee sleep sickness. I work at an intertribal school. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people will come to me and, and tell me their interpretation of that same experience. But uh, as you said, it, it's a constant. And so why did it uh, the panic rage across the country. I guess that's my, you know, if it, it, it's really going on all the time. Was there something going on politically where they needed a boogeyman, you know, where it was politically expedient to create a bad guy? Well, let me let me deepen that description first. What, first of all, let's ask if, if sleep paralysis was a, a, a component of it and a large component of it, you know, why was that the case? And there were very good reasons why why that that might have been the case um, that have sort of fed into that. And one is that you know this happened during the holy month. The holy month, people are not eating properly, they're not sleeping properly. In the period leading up to it, they're sort of you know worried about can they afford it and all sorts of sort of anxieties and pressures and lack of sleep are going on around that time of year. And this year, 1995, these things were all exacerbated by the fact that the the country was just heading, it was in the run-up to the first multi-party national elections that it had had since since the Zanzibar Revolution um, in 1964. It was the first multi-party election it had had since 1963 since the end of the colonial period. Um, So there was a lot of kind of anxiety, both because of the time of year, the season, the the religious festival, the fasting, lack of sleep and so on, but also because of the wider political context. So there there were very good sort of reasons, if you like, for people to have their sleep patterns disturbed, for them, you know, to to be full, relatively easy prey to that that kind of thing. There's sort of counterweight to that, and and I'm, I'm going to tell you about a couple of cases. That you, you, okay. you must, must know them already, um, but to me, they're, they're they're sort of counterweight to that argument. So I, I find some of that persuasive. 
I mean, and the Grey Brothers, to, to their great credit, when they were making that film, they, they sort of worked with, with some of the experts on, on these things. Al Chain, who was then at the University of Waterloo, and um, David Hufford, who, who, who'd written about the hag in, in Newfoundland and so on. So I, I, I myself was quite persuaded that sleep paralysis was a factor. Bizarrely, there is actually a, 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 a sort of a Zanzibari description of sleep paralysis, which is is very different from, you know, it's a different name. It's not Popo Bauer. It's, it's, it's something else. It's Ginamese. And I've, I've in, we interviewed people and, and asked them about that. And that's given various interpretations. But, but one, again, it, in, in many people's accounts, it, it, it describes the sort of classic symptoms of, of, of sleep paralysis and um, one guy I spoke to actually said he said you know look they're, they're just having that experience why 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 are they saying it's something else now against that sort of explanation and and, 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 that, 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 and some people find that a very powerful explanation there's clearly a lot of other stuff going on because as we've said you know panics can 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 take on their own life and to me, I, I like to compare, I mean, you can get panics almost. I mean, panics can develop and evolve out of almost nothing. Um, two of the classic cases uh, uh, to me, I, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done it. If, if you've not, not done a program on it, you must. It, it is, the, is the phantom gasser of Mattoon, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Is that how you pronounce <laughs> it? Which yeah. has got a lot of features in common. I mean, I mean, and even more than 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 we've spoken about already because Popo Bao also had a, a distinctive smell in, in, in some, you know, horrible Wait, smell. Hold on, oh, hold on yes. real quick. It may just be Skype, but did you say the phantom gasser? Yeah, it yeah. is the phantom gasser of Mattoon. Yeah, it's a classic case of the I've of met sociology him. Of, of sort of... of, of <laughs> I think it's you, Mike. <laughs> the phantom gasser. Like if you, a, if you ask my wife, there's a phantom gasser floating around our home all the time. <laughs> Can we change this program into me interviewing you then about your, <laughs> your behavior? This classic sociological case, the, the phantom, and there actually have been other phantom gases. It's, it's not the only one. But the, the famous one is the, yeah, when did it take place? 1940-something, 43 yeah, or something. I, yeah, I think so, that's right. So where you got this sort of panic that just sort of sprung up, and there are some different circumstances because in that case it was it was fed in part by newspaper reports, whereas the panic on Zanzibar is, is being fed by, um, you know, word-to-mouth oral accounts and, and, and stories. There was a bit on the radio about it, but um, mostly it was, was people telling one another. And then the the other case, to me, even even better example of this kind of thing is that have any of you, either of you, come across the the Seattle windshield pitting epidemic? No, that one I haven't heard of. Yeah, Google Google it as we speak. The the Seattle windshield pitting epidemic. I think it, it took place in the 1950s, and people in Seattle started noticing that there were sort of odd marks on their car windscreens. <laughs> okay. And this developed into a full so weird. 
panic where whole communities were just going nuts. I mean, the police were, authorities were inundated with all these reports about the strange things that are happening to our car windscreens. And, you know, it just... 1954, that's when that 1954, yeah. There's great stuff on it on NPR, if people are interested in listening to It's another classic sort of case of the sociology of, of this kind of thing. I mean, everybody was going nuts. And this is... You know, it eventually started to die down because, you know, when when the authorities did investigate, you know, they found actually there was nothing wrong with people's windscreens. They were just the ordinary sort of bumps and marks and the stuff you get on your windscreen. And that is and so bizarre because you can understand what, was, what happened in, in, in Zanzibar, but why wouldn't people say, oh, something on. happened to my windshield? Because weird. of the sort of febrile atmosphere. And this is in context of, of nuclear atomic tests oh, and the okay. panic of the Cold War. And, you know, if you look at the sociological accounts of this, there were, again, these external circumstances that, you know, people were very anxious about this kind of stuff. And so they started, you know, it sort of snowballed again, that, that, you know, reinterpreting everyday events as though they were part of this sort of narrative of, of something evil and, and untoward or, or unexplained. Was, right, was, something was, lurking. Like, was uh, like Springfield. Yeah, yeah, like um, Springhill Jack in Victorian London was, is another uh, widespread panic. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and to, to me, and I did a lot of uh, uh, reading around this, so there's some great work on this. If, if any of your readers ever ever get to um, find some of the work of, of, of um, a sociologist called Rob, Robert uh, Bartholomew, Rob Bartholomew, his, I've got a, his book, his best titled book is Little Green Men, Meowing Nuns and Headhunting Panics. Um and and he you know he studied uh, done, done quite a lot of work together with others um, on on these types of, of of panics and I I I think there was you know Popo Bauer had had something of that in it is that you can't just explain it by you know the fact that everybody suddenly was suffering from sleep paralysis I think there were a lot of other things going on a lot of things fed into it and just yeah. as Mike said you know once that thing starts to get onto a roll then you know it's very becomes very difficult to 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 sort of stop well especially if that roll comes right into your nose so what do people smell <laughs> when they okay, like, yeah, the we, can't, Bawick, we can't let that go the popabawic scent yeah because we, well, we uh, talked to uh, uh, joshua Cotchin, who wrote a whole book about paranormal scents so you know this this is very applicable to, to that uh, area of study uh, I don't have a good description of it, but it was sort of fetid and evil. Okay. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's put it that way. Now, I mean, some of the experiences that people described, you, you could easily sort of fit them into alien kind of... Abductions, Abduction yeah. or, or alien entity type experiences, you know, right. which again, people have used sleep paralysis to... to uh, explain help explain it. some of those. I mean, let, let's add that, that during sleep paralysis, a small percentage of sufferers um, suffer from quite extreme hallucinations. So, you know, a lot of people just have this basic experience of discomfort and being crushed. 
or, or, or feeling the presence of an entity. But other people have, have sort of full-blown sort of hallucinatory experiences um, linked to sleep paralysis. So they're a smaller percentage of the whole. But, um, you know, and, and some of the people, some of the accounts that, that I have, um, uh, Jamila um, recorded for me, you know, would, would fit into, into that kind, kind of thing. Give me the recordings that you could read out or any specific that you've written down that are like, when you read it, you're like, oh, God, or you listen to it, you're like, this one's the worst. Not the worst. I mean, there's, um, I'm just looking um, whether I can see the one with the flashing green light in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one. I mean, this is, you know, this straight out of the, you know, Arabian Nights, you know, meets the X-Files. About a guy who's, 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 you know, living with his wife and grandchildren, as people often do in, in, in these um, rural communities. And somebody had told him the news about Popa Bauer. And he sort of scoffed. He said, oh, that's rubbish. You know, you just got to scaring me. I, I, you know, I'm not frightened at all. So I mean, this is classic urban legend. Right. Um, sort of setup. So here's the account. So that night... After having gone to bed with his wife, he heard a sound like a clock's alarm. So it's like a sort of one of those, you know, (laughs) those horrible alarm bells. So he heard a sound like a clock's alarm, and he woke up with a start. When he looked, he saw, and and this stuff gets bizarre, he saw a tiny dog in the bedroom. And on the dog's head, light like the rotating warning light on top of a police car or ambulance. Oh. Yeah. So he wakes up. Tiny dog in his bedroom and it's got a green light and that light is, is going round and round on, on, on the dog's head. <laughs> I like the bush baby better. It's not finished. <laughs> after, after, after a minute or two, the dog began to grow in size. Yeah. So you can picture this now. At the same time, the dog starts spinning around in a circle. So the dog now with the flashing light going around its head is also getting bigger and bigger and spinning round and round. And as the dog grew, it turned faster and faster, and the lamp on its head cast an even brighter light until, you know, it's just like a massive dog. It's just enormous. And all this happens in a few minutes. And, and the guy this is happening to is just kind of frozen he can't say anything can't do anything he's, he's just he can't even open his mouth he can't call his wife who's sleeping next to him and you know nothing he can do uh, 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 do you want me to read on because it carries on from there because oh, more stuff <laughs> i'd like to know what happens with the dog that's right the dog. right well so, okay so he was hanging <laughs> so so there you are in bed, and there's a sort of, you know, there's this ginormous dog, you know, that's spinning around with a rotating flashing green light on its head. And so meanwhile, uh, and this is how the story was told, in the next room, so his wife's oblivious to this, in the next room are his grandchildren, you know, some of them who are not, they're not sort of so small, but they're sleeping in the next room. One of those children became possessed. Popo Bar itself was not the kind of spirit that possessed you. It was, it was just some sort of evil entity or evil. They talked about it as a spirit, but it was out there. It didn't possess you personally. It just attacked people. But one of his grandchildren uh, was sleeping in the next room, became possessed. So was entered, if you like, um, 
by a spirit. And start and the spirit started speaking through this child. It was a boy, I think. Started speaking through this this boy. And it started saying, and this is, you know, we're into the exorcist territory, said, get out, you must get out. And as soon as the child said that, so the spirit speaking to the child, then the dog turned into a man. Mm. So the big rotating flashing light dog, then because this other spirit, you know, get out, get you know, change, whatever, it sort of turns into a man. The entity turns into a man, but it was a man so large that you could not see his face or even his shoulders. So it's now a sort of giant in the bedroom. And then the boy who was possessed came into the bedroom. And at that point, um, his grandmother, so the guy who's having the experience, his, his wife then woke up and said, you know, hey, you know what, what's happening? And this, the boy's still shouting, you know, today you're going to get out, get out, while... The guy who was having the experience was still sort of paralyzed and, 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 and struck dumb. So it's not finished yet. But what's, what's, what's happening here is that, and this is a feature of many of the accounts, is that when people were being attacked and when Popa Bow was about, it was generally believed and felt that other spirits, people who had this type of spirits that possessed them and were their familiars, if you like, could help them and speak through them, they would act in a protective way. Mm. So this, this spirit of speaking through the boy, the grandchild, sort of, and then sort of, you know, a kind of warfare now going on between, you know, this, the, the sort of good possessory spirit and, right. you know, the nasty dog. A giant. He's trying and to help the, the family. Was this an ancestral spirit, the possessive no, spirit? Nothing, no, nothing to do with ancestors in no, this particular not, case. Not when, in this context. Yeah, when Popa Bauer first appeared on, on Pemba and started spreading across the island, um, and again, I've written about this, is, is people ran through a whole series of possible explanations because they, they didn't understand why this was happening. So... You know, was it an ancestral spirit? Was it because we annoyed, you know, some kind of witch finder a few years ago and chased him away? Is it because we sort of, you know, ate that spirit that was embodied in a whale that washed up in the beach and we just sort of ate the meat and didn't respect the spirit and now the child has come back to haunt us? And there are all sorts of those, you know, different types of spiritual explanations that, that, that people came up with. Um, the one that they settled on, and this ties up another thread that we've been talking about, is, the, is that it was it was something to do with the political context. And I, as I said, in this they were in the it would, this is the months before the first multi-party elections. Um, this particular island, Pemba, was basically the stronghold of of, of the opposition party the Civic United Front, CUF, CUF, and uh, who were attempting to sort of, you know, depose the party that had been ruling for years and years and had, had in some ways reluctantly under donor pressure agreed to hold the first multi-party elections. And the, in, the interpretation that sort of gathered pace and in, in some ways kind of brought the panic on that island to an end um, once people had sort of figured out what they thought was happening, was that it was all political. The argument was, and there were various, you know, 
pieces of evidence produced for this, um, or, or supposed piece of evidence. But the allegation was that it was the ruling party who didn't want to lose the election, so they brought these evil spirits to distract people from the business of politics, just harass them, annoy them, upset them, get them to forget the fact that they should, be, you know, they, they all wanted to sort of, uh, you know, vote in a, a different party. So the idea that the people would use political, like like that this whole thing was based out of somebody wanted to start a rumor to distract the plebes or whatever, while the, you know, while the, the powers that be were kind of consolidating and to, to distract them from the upcoming election. Yeah. And that, that on, on this particular island, the island where the panic began, that became the explanation for what was happening, that it was political and they fingered the politicians involved they said they'd see you know there were various coincidences you know we saw the minister for this or the member of parliament for that passing in the night it must have been him because there was a, a series of attacks after he'd been passed with his you know his his big flashy car and particular spirit mediums once ramadan the holy month had ended they could consult spirit mediums who again sort of you know figured these politicians and, and and that became on that island although not throughout Zanzibar it became the, the the standard explanation so even the political explanation has a paranormal element to it because the attacks would happen after the guy came past well yeah. that, that, I mean there was again you could look at it you know in the same way that you look at the Seattle windshield Fitting epidemic it's a lovely word I, I wish I could sort of teach classes on it it is <laughs> You know, it, I wish I could can, take those classes. You can see the potential for mundane, everyday events to be reinterpreted. If you're in the middle of a big panic, then and something like that happens, you you know everybody's thinking, hey, you know that. Rather than correlation, it becomes cause. Right. You know, yeah, everybody's looking for something. It came, it came by in the night, just as you know, half of our neighbours were all being attacked by this evil entity. So it's you know, it must be him. <laughs> Well, what happened to the guy with the dog real quick? Oh, you're worried about what happened to the guy oh, with the yeah, dog? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, this, this just goes on and on. I mean, they, they all end up, um, I mean, the neighbors are getting involved. I'm, I'm going to summarize because the neighbors get involved and other people are going into sort of possession trances. So, so it becomes a really big disturbance. Yeah. And does the guy's wife, the grandmother, she wakes up, right? So this is like we're moving from the area where this is all in one dude's head to where other people are sharing in it. Yep, in the account. I wasn't there, so and, and neither was my assistant Jamila. But th these are the these are the narratives as we've been told. The, the if you like the the stories of stories. Yeah. So it ended up with basically the whole sort of neighborhood was in, in a riot. Yeah, eventually the, the guy guy kind of came out of it and woke up. And the idea, the basic idea in this, as in other tales, is that he, you know, the the Popo Bauer ultimately had been sort of chased away by by, you know, these 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 more benevolent spirits. Um and so so and in, um, in it this, was important it, that the that the community got involved and, and the community of spirits as well. And in this particular, unfortunately, in this particular case, and, and this is how the story ends, is that uh, because of all the disruption and the chaos that was going on, one of the one of the neighbours uh, was 
was robbed by a thief at, at night. So I woke up in the morning and all their savings had gone. Oh, so, well, that was opportunistic. <laughs> somebody had taken advantage of that of that situation. But so, I find that interesting that, that the um, community element, that, you know, here's this guy being ravaged by the Popobawa and his grandchild yeah. possessed by some a helpful spirit comes to his aid and then others in the village also are possessed and, and come to his aid. I mean, that yeah. that's kind of gives you an idea of the mindset uh, that, that it's very community oriented and that if you it, have a problem, everybody's going to come in and try to help you out. <laughs> and, and before I wind, we wind up this, this bit, cause, cause we should say something about, you know, what, what, what happened, what's happened thereafter and so on. But, I'll just tell you what happened when Papa Bao visited me, or tried to visit me. Uh-oh. You know, classic anthropologist, you're the last person who to know about this. And, and again, we talked about this earlier, is that, uh, so I only, I only found out about all this in the morning. And it, and it turned out to be the night in the community in which I was living on the edge of this town, Wete. It was, it was the night in which there was a sort of utmost chaos and, and disruption. And, and afterwards, I then got other accounts of, of what had gone on in the community. But, but um, it, I, I found this quite interesting because I, 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 you know, I was, I was in my, on my own at this time. My, I didn't have my family with me. And I was happily sleeping in, in my house. I had a couple of... Um, night watchman, partly to look after the sort of, you know, project equipment and, and vehicles and, and uh, generators and so on that, that we had. Now, one of these guys, and this is how he described it. He said, you know, I said, you know, I was just sitting up, you know, watching. He was on my veranda, I think. And he said, you know, he said, I saw a dog. He said it was kind of whitish. And it, it it came up to the the gateway to your to your house to the compound there to the to the yard. And he had a siren on his head. No, oh no, they, yeah, the coincidence. They weren't all dogs, by the way. This is this that's a coincidence. No, but he said no flashing light. But this dog, he said it was <laughs> it was quivering. So it came up to the gatepost, and it was like shaking like mad. It was kind of. I'm sorry, you can't see the visuals of this, but it was, it was kind of shaking and quivering, and uh, you know, like something wrong with it, like it was in a kind of fever. Uh, and this guy, the watchman, he, he thought, oh, hold on, that, that's not normal. You know, he said, I know there's a lot of kind of dogs around here and feral dogs, but that's really weird. You know, maybe it's a manifestation of Popo Bauer. So the dog then runs off, and this guy. He's sort of feeling a bit worried. I think the other watchman, by the way, is asleep. They they often tended to be just asleep and not yeah, watching anything. Sure. <laughs> the other watchman doesn't. Good gig if you can get it. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I can tell a lot of stories about this, but that, that's a, a different podcast. And um, so he said, "Well," and then after a short while, another animal came. I said. It looked like a hare, you know, like a kind of rabbit-like animal, but but it wasn't. It was sort of a bit like that, but it wasn't. It's like something, it was like a civet cat, but it, it wasn't a civet cat. It's like, you know, it's like something I'd never seen before. And it did the same thing, came to the gate, and it sort of behaved weirdly and then went away. So, you know, now he's starting to sweat and getting really, you know, thinking this is 
really odd. And then the third thing happens. And he said, this time, he said, just where your cars, where your Land Rover was parked at the gate, this, this homunculus, this diminutive person appeared, you know, like a really small kind of dwarf. You know, totally. <laughs> Homunculus, you know, this, I love it. This is You're like digging deep there, Martin. That's great. This is like weird city. You know, oh, my, you know what's going my on? My favorite city. So it's kind of like complete panic. You know, this dwarf. Oh, you know, expletives. And this thing, it, it kind of danced around the Land Rover. It, it sort of went here and there. You know, it's oh my God, it's coming for me. You know, help. And uh, so, oh, geez, this is too much. And so, you know, abandoning the other watchman who I knew nothing about this, who was asleep, abandoning me. I'm, I'm fast asleep, you know, dreaming, dreaming <laughs> of England, as, 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 as <laughs> in the phrase, is, is so he bolts and he runs, he runs across, he runs away, you know, just bolts completely as fast as he can he said you know maybe it's it's gone to my home maybe my wife is being attacked maybe so he just legs it he just runs as fast as he can away and the thing that's really funny <clears throat> i mean first of all when i heard all this you know i thought yeah you know there's loads of sort of white dog i keep seeing white dogs you know loitering around my house and you know i don't know what every else he saw but, but well i've but, got that problem so, with homunculi <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I wasn't. I wasn't getting the homunculi, but I, I was I, all, all the the, the hair-like uh, animals. But I, 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 I was getting white dogs all the time. But so he bolts madly across, and all my other neighbours are actually a few hundred yards away. They're frightened as well because of this this sort of general panic. So they're not in their houses. They're all outside, sitting around a fire trying to stay awake because they're worried about being attacked. And they see this guy who in everyday waking life, they know very well. And they just see this thing streaking past them in the middle of the night, like mad, and think, oh, my God, there goes Popo Bauer. So they thought he was Popo Bauer. She ran away (laughs) from my... (laughs) That's an easy way to get dead. And I I found out later that... um, you know, I questioned him about this, and, and, and you know, it's very sincere. But uh, and, and why were you not at your post? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, power, well, how, how, yeah, how can you hold a man to account? You know, when he's being attacked by a homunculus or threatened <laughs> by? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if he was drunk on duty, yes, but you know, uh, right. you know, a homunculus. I mean, you get a pass for that. If you're under a supernatural three, three, invasion, you know, I get it. Yeah, and, and, and this was the night, as I learned later from other people, when the whole community was in uproar. And there was a whole series of, of attacks. And whether he yeah. also had some intimation of this or not, but there was that same night was the worst night for the community I lived in. And it was basically, you know, people were sort of raving and going, you know, cracker. I mean, they were just going mad and running about and... and you know, the potential for sort of confusion and, you know, identifying the wrong person as Popo Bauer was, was, was as, as uh, I heard, quite considerable. And I, I was oblivious to it all. This, if, if I'd not sort of persuaded somebody, this, this, um, the woman I refer to as Jamila, to, to sort of 
uh, help me with this stuff. I, I would have been totally unaware. I would have known nothing about them. So basically the whole scare, Martin, comes down to you. So that means those people's <laughs> blood is on your hands. <laughs> I, I, oh, no. No, I, I, I sincerely hope not. And, and, yeah. and to sort of help wind up, let, let me just say something about the sort of wider sort of context. Um, so in, in this sort of explaining what, you know, what people, when it first began, what people thought Pope about was, um, is they related it as to something that had happened. This was in 1995. And a, a number of people said, you know, this isn't the first time we've been visited by Popo Bauer or something called Popo Bauer. But the original Popo Bauer was on that island of Pembe. It didn't spread to the other island. Um, and it, it, it was actually you know, the work of a, of a single man who, and there's a story then about somebody who is an, actually an outsider in the community who'd fallen out with his wife and his wife wanted to divorce him and he'd resisted and then the wife had forced through a divorce, which you can do in, in Islam if things, are, are, you know, not, not, you know, if you persuade the authorities, you really must have a divorce. And this, this man who was actually a mainlander him was so fed up and disgruntled he then sort of he must have gone to a, a you know a, a, one of these sort of specialists and uh, you know something to sort of take their revenge on the community so and that that had, that had been sort of it had been contained it just a one part of the island it was the culprit was identified as being one person and it was said it had been solved at the time by Zanzibar's first president who came over and sort of threatened the spirit and the various stories about his uh, spiritual power and so on well that's people say that's actually where they got the name that that was the original popo bauer unfortunately and i've looked through all the records that i can and contemporary newspapers and so on and there's no consistent there's no contemporary account of, of that event that I've, I've yet found um people's stories about it because it was it was some years before are very inconsistent they give it as a different year they the circumstances change um but it's it basically a story like that so the now, original Popobawa was like set forth as like vengeance against the town for enabling this divorce and then decades later he comes back like the sequel Popobawa 2 well, it, 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 <laughs> the reckoning, the, the intruder. Except, except, you know, it's it's like fascism too. Popo Bauer too isn't quite the same <laughs> as, <laughs> as the original Popo Bauer. You know, and it depends how you want to take it. Maybe just that, that's the name because there was a similar, you know, some similarities in the behaviour of the entity and, and so on. But it had a this one certainly on that island. People said, "Hey, it's got a." political cause. I, I didn't um, put together a lot of these accounts. It, it was it was my assistant, uh, Jamila, who, and, and this is why I can't tell you her real name, is because of the politics and because that, uh, that election that when it happened was very contentious and, um, you know, it, it, it didn't go well at all. And there was a lot of violence and, and, and um, upset associated with that. We don't need to go into details, but that's why she didn't she didn't want um, to be identified as, as the author of, of, you know, the narratives that she collected because they dealt 
with these political matters. You know, it's the whole idea, like, well, you're associated with the idea virus. Well, what, what happened is this, this, this sort of, this, uh, this virus that it was a political thing, that then got into the wider world. So it got into the, you know, the international press. It got onto the internet. You know, it got onto the BBC. It got into whatever, 40 and Times. It got into other places. And that that became the standard external narrative that this Popa Bao is something that happens during times of political tension. Was there anyone saying Popa Bao is not that bad? Like, ah, Popa Bao, like, he's, he's your <laughs> no, buddy. Don't know about the Popa Bao. He's a midnight and, and snuggler. Popa Bao, they're probably listening. Yeah, there, 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 there <laughs> was a lot of, there, there was and is uh, humor about it. Um, so among people who weren't directly affected, there are, there are you know, jokes circling about it. Um, you, you can perhaps even find some on the internet. So it, it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of humour, despite the in fact, you know, that it involved assault of various kinds. But, but, but some people found humour in the situation, as, as people do. I think it's an underexplored topic. Um, and I think there's a lot more that we can learn from what happens during those kind of, um, you know, collective panics. I mean, 1995 was the big one for the Popa Bauer. The, the later incidents were, were, were much, were very small scale and localised. But who knows, you know, it's, it's there to be picked up again in the future or maybe it'll be something else next time. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Martin. And I think your research, number one, is fascinating. And I was reading the Popabawa stuff you wrote and some different things. And we'll have to talk to you again sometime about some more of these uh, invisible beings, imaginary beings of Eastern Africa and and some of your research. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, we'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much. Yeah, happy to come back. Thanks, guys. Got to thank Martin for coming on and thank you, Martin. a long time with us. And uh, we'll definitely have him talk about some more of these fanciful creatures and legendary yes. animals and so stuff like cool. that. So cool. And of thanks ten- to Allison Jornlin as well mm-hmm. from MilwaukeeGhost.com. It's always a joy to have Allison. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we'll be spending some more time with her in the future because we got some interviews coming up and she's going to be joining us. It's a lot of fun. So I got to say that Martin's work inspired me this week when we were talking about the songs. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, I'm thinking Africa, Tanzania, how can I get some kind of African beat? And then I, all I can think of is Toto. Right, like, you know, <laughs> of course, naturally. I felt the rains down in Africa. So we're not going to do something like that. And we're not going to put in some kind of weird tribal beat oh, or something, not? just to be you know cheesy. Okay. But the, the best analog that I could think of comes from a couple. One is Martin in his... Uh, description of everything talks about the time between sleeping and waking mm. and he calls it the twilight zone Ooh. okay and then i'm thinking about mass delusions and people turning on each other and all i can think of is the great twilight zone episode the monsters are due on maple street oh okay and you guys be able to check the show notes i've actually got a link to the whole episode in the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 133 that is correct so this is the best analog that I could think of. Kind of science fiction, interesting analog. So that was the inspiration for this week's song. So the, the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street is an episode where the aliens pass over just in, a, in like a meteor. They pass over a, a small town. And the power goes out. And everybody comes out in the street and starts talking to each other. And over the course of the day, 
everyone starts turning on each other. Like oh, one of them is an alien. Like, you know, one kid tells the story of a comic book and everybody starts believing it, you know, and people think that each other are aliens. They stop trusting each other. Somebody gets shot. The whole thing turns into a mess. Oh, and in the end, you see two aliens looking at each other and talking. And laughing. And, no. Right. And the, right. And they're saying, that's all you have to do. That was their, oh. You don't even, all you have to do is show up. Let them destroy themselves. They'll always find their most dangerous wow. enemy themselves. Okay. And that's the whole point. And so that that kind of uh the idea of mass delusion and and people spreading the idea virus, which is something we talk about in the interview a lot, the idea virus mm-hmm. of the Popabawa is uh how we came to. So this week's song is called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. What do we do? The switches won't respond. Point our fingers to a fifth column from the vast beyond. Who's hiding what? Another wild theory. Who can you trust when we're yelling in the street? And behind you'll fight your own worst enemy and the monsters I do on Maple Street a simple pattern you know it's always the same when the unknown appears Find someone to blame The trigger in plain sight To agitate the hive It's just a matter of time And we'll eat each other alive What are you guilty of? What are you waiting for? Your own worst enemy And the monsters I do on Maple Street And inside every closed door there lies A new conspiracy And the monsters I do on Maple Street Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OtherSidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Hold up. What? Episode's not over yet until we talk about our super awesome Patreon community. So great. And those are the people that choose to spend some of their time and their money to donate to the Other Side Podcast community. So if you're interested in being part of that group, which is the coolest, nicest, most fun, handsome charming pretty generous <laughs> people on the planet other slash donate is where to go yes 
And a special shout out goes to our friend Ned. Ned, thank you very much for your Patreon support. Thanks, Ned. Every week, it helps make this podcast more fun and it helps us get shows on the air. Yes. All of you. Thank you. Thank you. They're totally cute, especially when they get drunk.